Chapter 4, Chris. It isn't often that identical twins have different birth dates, but Angela and Beth did. Angela was born May 1st, 1956 at 11.49 p.m. Beth was born May 2nd, 1956 at 12.02 a.m. It made perfect sense, therefore, at least to Angela and Beth, to celebrate their 14th birthdays at midnight. Mama and Emily made a cake with two identical halves, each with 14 candles. At the grandfather clock, as the grandfather clock was striking 12, they blew out the candles on their cakes. <clears throat> Such a clatter of clapping, clocks, and cheering followed that they didn't hear the doorbell the first time it rang. Jim hurried to the door the second ring. It was Grandma Pearl, Papa's mother. She excused herself for calling so late and stepped into the entryway. Behind her came a small boy holding a little battered suitcase without a handle. His hair was almost black and was cut very short. He was barely four feet tall, with bony arms and wrists. His black eyes were sunken, giving his face a feral quality. His face was emotionless, <clears throat> even while he exuded fear. Jim, this is Chris. This is my niece Lois's boy. He's six years old and he needs a place to stay for a few days. His real name is Buddy Brown, but he was born on Christmas Day and goes by Chris. Lois and her husband are having marriage difficulties and, well, he needs a home for a few days. Hi, Chris. Laura bent over and smiled at him. It just so happens we have an extra bed in Benjamin's room. It was Jimmy's bed. She hadn't been able to bring herself to let anyone sleep in it since he had died. Yet Chris's plight now was more important than a sentimental silliness. We were just having carrot cake and ice cream. You want some? Chris nodded enthusiastically. Wait, Grandma Pearl commanded, and Chris halted mid-stride. Let's look at the list. She produced a three-page document from her purse and studied it a minute. Nope. No wheat, no nuts. Sorry, Chris, honey. No cake, but it lists ice cream as being okay. You'll have to have a shot before you go to bed, okay? Chris smiled and nodded. <clears throat> by this time, the rest of the family had gathered around. Angela and Beth each took him by the hand and led him into the kitchen. Emily, Sam, and Cheryl stayed with the adults who moved into the family room. Grandma Pearl unbuttoned her sweater and took a seat in the recliner. She was so short that her feet dangled six inches from the floor. I went to visit my sister Marianne, Lois's mother, yesterday. They live side by side in a development outside Salt Lake City. As I was driving up to Marianne's house, I saw Chris sitting on the front step of Lois's apartment. It was late in the afternoon and he was sitting up there in his pajamas. I walked up to him and he smelled like urine. His pajamas were horrible. I could see he had been crying. He looked at me with those big brown eyes and says, Will you be my mommy? I tell you, it melted my heart. I scooped him up and banged on the door. It took a long time for her to answer, but when she came, she was still in bed clothes. I told that young woman that I wanted Chris's clothes. She bundled them up and handed them to me without asking where I was taking them. I'm not even sure she remembered who I was. The only thing she said was that Chris was being punished for wetting the bed last night. The poor thing hadn't had breakfast or lunch. I don't know what to do with him, so I brought him here. I'll work out things with my sister tomorrow. I appreciate you taking the boy in. He's a handful. He's a full-blown diabetic. He's hyperactive and can't eat a blessed thing. He's allergic to everything under the sun. Every one of his teeth are rotten. I'm so mad I could skin someone alive. Grandma Pearl scooted forward and slid off the big chair. She buttoned up her sweater, said her goodbyes, and vanished. Chris was finishing his second bowl of ice cream when they entered the kitchen. He ate like a wolf, food flying off of his spoon, running down his chin, and splattering all around the bowl. He was reaching for another helping when Laura intervened and sent all the kids to bed. 
Chris still smelled like urine, even in his street clothes. So Laura hustled him off to the bathroom. She started a tub of water running and pulled off his shirt over his head. Her heart sank and tears came to her eyes. She opened the door and called to Jim, who was beside her in an instant. After closing the door, she turned Chris's back toward him. His back was a mass of scars and bruises. Old cigarette burns were everywhere, and long red welts ran across his bottom. They questioned him about how they got there, but he would only say, I fell down playing. It was the only answer he dared give them. All her other kids could bathe themselves by the time they were six, but Chris didn't have a clue what to do. Laura scrubbed him from stem to stern and rubbed him dry. He stared expressionless, expressionlessly at her the whole time. She found a pair of Benjamin's pajamas that would fit him and showed him his bed. Need shot, he said emotionlessly. Laura had forgotten about it. He retrieved his insulin kit from his small suitcase. She had seen these before and quickly filled the syringe. He pulled down his pajamas and she administered the shot in his hip. He didn't flinch. Are you a big boy and won't wet the bed, or do you need to wear diapers to bed? Big boy, he said with a wounded voice. <laughs> that wasn't much of a wounded voice, sorry. <laughs> That's a good boy. I'm glad you can spend the night. My room is right down the hall. The door is open all night. If you need anything, you come and knock on the door, okay? And he nodded. She kissed him on the forehead, kissed Benjamin, who was already asleep, and turned out the light. Chris rolled onto his side and yawned. It had been a long day for him. Laura had earned a master's degree in marriage and family counseling, which she had set aside to raise her family. She often felt grateful for her education, especially when their family accommodated foster children, some of whom, like Chris, needed special attention. Her gentle ways and love of counseling made it possible for her to draw on the foster children out of their frightening worlds and into the circle, her circle of love. She loved being a mom, and in spite of occasionally feeling as if she wanted to scream, she wouldn't have traded it for anything. Neither Laura nor Jim could sleep. The memory of Chris's back was haunting them. It troubled them both deeply that anyone could harm a child, and they needed to talk. They finally talked it out, turned out the lights at 2 a.m. I didn't put away the cake, Laura mumbled as she rolled over. It will take care of itself until morning. Sleep had already taken her away when she suddenly sat up. She glanced at the clock, which said 3 a.m. She had a little difficulty... No, she had little difficulty arousing Jim, who was a light sleeper. Jim, I just realized I ignored a whispering of the spirit. I said I didn't put away the cake, and what I was really thinking about was the candles and matches. I'll get them, honey. You had more than your share of troubles today. Jim swung his legs out of bed and pulled his pants on, looping one suspender over his shoulder. When he pulled open their bedroom door, a strong odor of smoke swirled the room. Laura was at his side instantly. You get the kids up. I'm going to stop the fire. Get everyone out, and then come back and help. Jim ran down the stairs. Bright flames danced on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. He turned left toward the family room and skidded to a stop, momentarily immobilized by what he saw. Chris was standing in front of him, a single flickering match in his hand. The wisps... The wrappings from the birthday presents were burning hotly, and suddenly the couch was on fire, and he watched the fire jump to the curtains behind the couch. Chris was transfixed, as if hypnotized. He grabbed Chris by the pajamas and yanked him away from the flames. Fire, Chris said almost reverently. Jim flung open the front door and tossed Chris out onto the grass. The garden hose lay sprawled across the lawn. He spun the faucet and ran to the sprinkler. He twirled it off as he ran back. But the time he got back to the... 
By the time he got the hose to the fire, it was too hot to approach behind him. Terrified kids were streaming through the front door. He aimed the hose at the fire and knew almost immediately it was hopeless. The glass in the window behind the couch burst at the first sprinkle of water, and the fire roared bigger with the fresh oxygen. The paneling on the walls was beginning to buckle and burn. The carpet, the carpet was burning, making a choking blue smoke. At the moment he decided it was hopeless, he heard the glass break on the opposite side of the room, and a thick column of water roared past him. The fire retreated against the, black, the blast of muddy water, and in minutes was defeated. Jim used his garden hose to put out the remaining hot spots. Sam had run into the house from the back door. He had started the sprinkler pump and turned one of the big flexible hoses from the garden into the house. His quick thinking had saved their home, but the aftermath was unbelievable. What was not burned was soaked with muddy water. The smell was a nauseating combination of acrid, acrid smoke and pond water. Cheryl tapped Sam on the shoulder. He turned to stare from the devastation in their family room to her. You better put on your coveralls or I'll have to start calling you my angel in underwear, she said in mock seriousness. He looked down as if for the first time realized he had nothing but his underwear. He disappeared into the back hall and returned wearing a pair of muddy coveralls. Mama, look, it was Angela's voice. She was pointing out the front lawn. Chris was standing in the blackness of the morning, his face visible only by the flickering light of the single match he held in his hands. His eyes were glazed and hypnotic, his pajama bottoms dripping with urine. It took months to repair the damage, both physical and psychological. Insurance paid for all the repairs, but the worst damage could not be repaired with money. No one trusted Chris. Everything he ate made him hyperactive. Sugar put him in a zombie state, and he started lighting matches again. Already he had burned down the chicken coop in the neighbor's pasture before they figured out the sugar connection. Everyone except Laura wanted to strangle him. The most frustrating thing about Chris was that punishment was no effect on him. After he burned down the chicken coop, Jim had spanked him. A rare occurrence in their home, but not unheard of. Chris had taken the spanking without emotion or crying and had walked away, apparently unfazed. Moments later, he purposely broke one of Benjamin's toys by smashing it against the wall of the house. Jim spanked him again, this time more soundly. Again, no tears from Chris. Moments later, Chris went out to the chicken run, caught a chicken, and kicked it until it stopped moving. When Jim and Laura found him, he was standing there with the dead chicken dangling from his hand. They were both furious and wanted to punish him in anger, but some greater force prevailed. Laura knelt down before the boy so that they were almost eye to eye. Chris, I know you are angry and that you are breaking things because you think we are punishing you out of meanness. Maybe some big people did that to you in the past, but not in our home. In our home, we only punish you when you do something wrong. What you have done here is wrong. Do you understand that it is wrong to kill things out of anger? Chris nodded and let the chicken drop to the ground. Do you understand that when we do wrong things, that painful things happen back to us? Sometimes it's a punishment, sometimes another thing. Again, Chris nodded sullenly. Do you remember when I spanked Benjamin the other day? What did he do? He cried. Chris shoved his hands into his pockets and wet his pants. Laura ignored the latter. That's right, Chris. Little boys cry when they are hurt, or when they are spanked. Why don't you cry, Chris? You don't even cry when you hurt yourself. My papa says if I cry, I get more. Only babies cry, and babies get more whippings. And I'm bad and cry, then Mr. Cigarette will punish me.
I'm too big for Mr. Cigarette anymore, he said with an air of fear and defiance. Your papa was wrong, Chris. Mr. Cigarette is always bad, and Mr. Cigarette should never punish little boys. Mr. Cigarette can't come here to our house, and he will never let him punish you, sweetheart, ever again. Do you believe that? Chris nodded uncertainly. Chris, I want to ask you a question. Will you try to tell me what you are feeling, no matter what, even if it scares you a little? Again, Chris nodded, the face a mask of uncertainty. First, will you smile for me? It was such an unexpected request that Chris's eyes grew wide. Laura smiled broadly, and after a moment of silence, Chris smiled back. That's much better. I want you to smile because I'm going to ask you is a happy question, and not something to be afraid of. So you can answer without feeling afraid, okay? Okay, he mumbled. What makes you feel the worst inside? Was it Mr. Cigarette hurting you, or was it that your papa helped Mr. Cigarette hurt you? My papa, Chris said quietly. When he glanced into Laura's eyes, they flashed with anger and betrayal. Chris, will you smile for me again? Laura asked. Why? Chris asked. Because is, is, it is against the law at our house for Mr. Cigarette to come here. You never have to be afraid again. Does that make you feel like smiling? Yes, he replied, and a little smile appeared on his face. Good. There's one more law at our house, and that is all so happy. But might seem a little hard to understand. Will you help me with this other happy law, Chris? She asked tenderly, gazing into his eyes, both hands on his shoulders. Yes, he responded carefully. Still, he answered without asking what the law was. Trust was slow to form in his heart. Thank you, Chris. I really need your help with this one. This law is that when little boys feel sad inside, they cry until they don't feel like crying anymore. Really? Look into my eyes, Chris, Laura instructed gently. See these tears in my eyes, she asked. Chris nodded slowly. I feel sad inside my heart because of what Mr. Cigarette did to you, so I'm going to cry for a few minutes because of the sad experience. Will you cry with me? Jim felt his own eyes flood with tears as he saw tears streak down his wife's face, but he resisted the urge to swallow back his tears or to hurriedly wipe them away as he had done all his life. Chris looked up at Jim just as the tears fell from his chin. Suddenly, as if a great dam broke somewhere inside Chris, he began to sob. At first it sounded like a bleeding goat, blah, blah, but it was as if he had never cried before and didn't know what sound to make. Then it changed to blur, 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 he cried. Laura held him close to her and whispered love to him. That's right, baby, cry now, cry hard. Cry those nasty feelings out, cry until it doesn't hurt anymore. Mama will hold you until you no longer hurt inside. Cry away all those bad feelings. And he did. For a long time and during it all, Laura held him, rocking him back and forth, kneeling there in the chicken coop. When Chris finally exhausted his pent-up emotions, he was a little boy again, and they were both covered with chicken manure, urine, snot, and smiles. Afterward, the sweet spirit that was the real Chris, real Chris was finally liberated from the terrible prison Mr. Cigarette had put him in. Before, he was a tough little boy who wouldn't have cried if he broke his arm. Now he cried over everything, and Mama Laura, as he called her, would hold him until he no longer needed to cry. In time, with good fresh farm food and an abundance of love, Chris outgrew his insulin dependence and was able to eat anything. 
He discovered a world filled with love, family, strawberries. He would do anything for a fresh strawberry, a bribe that worked until he discovered that the precious little gems grew on plants in the garden. They considered putting an electric fence around the patch, but it, in the end, it became Chris's strawberry patch. At least they always knew where to find him. Months later, Jim and Laura were lying in one another's arms as they were happy, as was their happy custom just before going to sleep. Jim tenderly swept a stray lock of hair from her face as she spoke. Do you remember when you cried with Chris until he cried? He felt Laura's head nod against his chest. At the time, it was very uncomfortable for me. I was standing there with anger in my heart while you were administering love. I'm ashamed to say that I thought you were wasting your time. I just want to say that I'm sorry for doubting you. Laura looked up at him and gave him a kiss on the cheek. You know, it was a unique and wonderful experience for me, she said. All my training, everything I knew about mothering seemed to be useless at that moment. But inside, I heard the spirit telling me what had to be done. It took a lot of faith to do what I knew to be right, but as I was doing it, I felt the Lord not only inspiring me, but empowering me to do it. It was one of the most humbling moments of my life. Just watching Chris since that day has vindicated your inspired therapy. He is a happy little boy, and if we can just get him to quit wetting the bed, he will be quite well adjusted, Jim commented. He's almost there, praise the Lord, Laura said happily. I can't quit thinking about that day. I was ready to hogtie him and send him to a mental institution, but you, in a single act of inspired love, changed him. Laura shook her head slowly. It's a rare for a life to be changed so suddenly. Most problem children like Chris take years and years to reach. What occurred that day in the chicken coop was an act of God, a miracle, and had little to do with me. You are far too modest, Laura. As I watched you that day, I was awed, overwhelmed. I am convinced that... Through your obedience, you saved his life and possibly his soul. If you had failed to act as Heavenly Father wanted you to, who knows what would have become of him. Perhaps he would have ended up in prison, having killed some innocent person out of anger. Jim fell silent. I just did what the Spirit directed. I'm no heroine. I'm just a mom. Besides, remember that I almost burned down the house by ignoring a prompting? You are a heroine to me. You heard the prompting, and your spirit was sensitive enough to truth that it later woke you back up you saved our home my love not almost burned it down and with chris you had the courage to do what was right in a very difficult situation in my book that makes you a heroine more specifically it makes you my heroine in my book she said happily as they snuggled closer that it makes you the person i love the most want another kiss